0: homily three of st john chrysostom on first corinthians part one this librivox recording is in the public domain homily three first corinthians one ten now i beseech you brethren by the name of our lord jesus christ that ye all speak the same thing and that there be no divisions among you but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment what I have continually been saying, that we must frame our rebukes gently and gradually, this Paul doth hear also, and that being about to enter upon a subject full of many dangers, and enough to tear up the church from her foundations, he uses very mild language. His word is, that he beseeches them, and beseeches them through Christ, as though not even he were sufficient alone to make this supplication and to prevail. But what is this? I beseech you through Christ. I take Christ to fight on my side, and to aid me. His injured and insulted name, an awful way of speaking indeed, lest they should prove hard and shameless, for sin makes men stubborn. Wherefore, if at once you sharply rebuke, you make a man fierce and impudent, but if you strike awe into him, you bow down his neck, you check his confidence, you make him hang down his head. Which object being Paul's also, he is content for a while to beseech them by the name of Christ. And what, of all things, is the object of this request? That ye may all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions, schisms, among you. The emphatic force of the word schism, I mean the very word, was enough to astound them extremely. For it was not that they had become many parts, each entire within itself, but rather the one body which originally existed had perished. For had they been entire churches, there might be many of them. But if there were schisms, then that first one was gone. For that which is entire within itself, not only does not become many by division into many parts, rather the original one is lost such is the nature of schisms in the next place because he had sharply dealt with them by so applying the word schism he again softens and soothes them saying that ye may be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment that is since he had said that ye may all speak the same thing do not suppose he adds that I said concord should be only in words. I seek for that harmony which is of the mind. But since there is such a thing as agreement in words, and that hearty, not, however, on all subjects, therefore he added this, that ye may be perfectly joined together. For he that is united in one thing, but in another falls apart, is no longer perfectly joined, nor fitted into complete accordance. There is also such a thing as harmony of opinions, where there is not yet harmony of sentiments. For instance, when having the same faith, we are not joined together in love. For thus, in opinions we are one, for we think the same things, but in sentiments not so. And such was the case at that time, this person choosing one leader, and that another. For this reason, he saith, it is necessary to agree both in mind and in judgment for it was not from any difference in faith that the schisms arose, but from the division of their judgment through human contentiousness. But seeing that whoso is blamed is unabashed so long as he hath no witnesses, observe how, not permitting them to stand forward and deny the fact, he adduces some to bear witness. Verse 11. For it hath been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them that are of the house of Chloe. Neither did he say this at the very beginning, but first he brought forward his charge, as one who put confidence in his informants, because had it not been so, he would not have found fault, for Paul was not a person to believe lightly. Neither then did he immediately say, it hath been declared, lest he might seem to blame on their authority. Neither does he omit all mention of them, lest he should seem to speak only from himself and again he styles them brethren, for although the fault be plain, there is nothing against calling people brethren still. Consider also his prudence in not speaking of any distinct person, but of the entire family, so as not to make them hostile towards the informer, for in this way he both protects him and fearlessly opens the accusation. For he had an eye to the benefit, not of the one side only, but of the other also, Wherefore he saith not, It hath been declared to me by certain, but he indicates also the household, lest they might suppose that he was inventing. What was declared? That there are contentions among you. Thus when he is rebuking them, he saith, That there be no schisms among you. And when he is reporting the statements of others, he doth it more gently, saying, For it hath been declared unto me that there are contentions among you in order that he might not bring trouble upon the informants. Next he declares also the kind of contention. Verse 12. That every one of you saith, I am of Paul, and I of Apollos, and I of Cephas. I say contentions, saith he, I mean not about private matters, but of the more grievous sort. That every one of you saith, For the corruption pervadeth not a part, but the whole of the church. And yet they were not speaking about himself nor about peter nor about apollos but he signifies that if these were not to be leaned on much less others for that they had not spoken about them he saith further on and these things i have transferred in a figure unto myself and apollos that ye may learn in us not to think above what is written For if it were not right for them to call themselves by the name of Paul and of Apollos and of Cephas, much less of any others, if under the teacher and the first of the apostles and one that had instructed so many people, it were not right to enroll themselves, much less under those who were nothing. In the very strongest way, then, withdrawing them from their disease, he sets down these names in haste. Besides, he makes his argument less severe, not mentioning by name the rude dividers of the church, but concealing them, as behind a sort of masks, with the name of apostles. I am of Paul, and I am of Apollos, and I of Cephas. Not esteeming himself before Peter, hath he set his name last, but preferring Peter to himself, and that greatly, he hath arranged his statements in the way of climax that he might not be supposed to do this for envy, nor for spiteful jealousy's sake, to be detracting from the other's honor. Wherefore also he hath put his own name first, for he who puts himself foremost to be rejected doth so not for love of honor, but for extreme contempt of this sort of reputation. He puts himself, you see, in the way of the whole attack, and then he mentions Apollos, and then Cephas, Not therefore to magnify himself hath he done this, but in speaking of wrong things he administers the requisite correction in his own person first. But that those who addicted themselves to this or that man were in error is evident, and rightly he rebukes them, saying, Ye do not well in that ye say, I am of Paul, and I of Apollos, and I of Cephas. But why did he add, And I of Christ? For, although those who are addicted themselves to men were in error, not surely those who dedicated themselves unto Christ. But this was not his charge, that they called themselves by the name of Christ, but that they did not call themselves by that name alone. And I think that he added this of himself, wishing to make the accusation more grievous, and to point out that by this rule Christ must be considered as belonging to one party only. Although they were not so using the name themselves, for that this was his secret meaning, he hath declared in the sequel, saying, Verse 3 Is Christ divided? What he saith comes to this Ye have cut in pieces Christ and distributed his body. Here is anger, here is chiding, here are words full of indignation. For whenever instead of proving, he interrogates only, His doing so implies a confessed absurdity. But some say that he glanced at something else, in saying, Christ is divided, as if he had said, He hath distributed to men and parted the church, and taken one share himself, giving them the other. Then, in what follows, he labors to overthrow this absurdity, saying, Was Paul crucified for you, or were ye baptized in the name of Paul? Observe his Christ-loving mind, how henceforth he brings the whole matter to a point in his own name, showing, and more than showing, that this honor belongs to no one, and that no one might think it was envy which moved him to say these things. Therefore he is constantly putting himself forward in all ways. Observe, too, his considerate way, in that he saith not, Did Paul make the world? Did Paul from nothing produce you into being, but only those things which belonged as choice treasures to the faithful, and flowed from the guardian love in excess? Those he specifies, the cross and baptism, and the blessings following on these. For the loving kindness of God towards men is shown by the creation of the world also, in nothing, however, so much as by the condescension through the cross. And he said not, Did Paul die for you? But was Paul crucified, setting down also the kind of death? Or were ye baptized in the name of Paul? Again, he saith not, Did Paul baptize you? For he did baptize many. But this was not the question, by whom they had been baptized, but into whose name they had been baptized. For since this also was a cause of schisms, their being called after the name of those who baptized them. He corrects this error likewise, saying, Were ye baptized into the name of Paul? Tell me not, saith he, who baptized, but into whose name? For not he that baptizeth, but he who is called unto the baptism, is the subject of inquiry. For this is he who forgives our sins. And at this point he stays the discourse, and does not pursue the subject any further. For he saith not, did paul declare to you the good things to come did paul promise you the kingdom of heaven why then i ask doth he not add these questions also because it is not all as one to promise a kingdom and to be crucified for the former neither had danger nor brought shame but the latter all these moreover he proves the former from the latter for having said he that spared not his own son he adds how shall he not with him also freely give us all things and again for if when we were enemies we were reconciled unto god by the death of his son much more being reconciled we shall be saved this was one reason for his not adding what i just mentioned and also because the one they had not as yet but of the other they had already made trial the one were in promise the other had already come to pass verse fourteen i thank god that i baptized none of you but crispus and gaius why are you elated at having baptized when i for my part even give thanks that i have not done so thus saying by a kind of divine art he does away with their swelling pride upon this point not with the efficacy of the baptism god forbid but with the folly of those who are puffed up at having been baptizers first, by showing that the gift is not theirs, and secondly, by thanking God, therefore. For baptism truly is a great thing, but its greatness is not the work of the person baptizing, but of him who is called to the baptism, since to baptize is nothing as regards man's labor, but is much less than preaching the gospel. Yea, again I say, great indeed is baptism, and without baptism it is impossible to obtain the kingdom. Still, a man of no singular excellence is able to baptize, but to preach the gospel there is need of great labor. Verse 15. He states also the reason why he giveth thanks, that he had baptized no one. What then is this reason? Lest anyone should say that ye were baptized in my own name. Why did he mean to say that so it was, in those other cases not at all but i fear saith he lest the disease should proceed even to that for if when insignificant persons and of little worth baptize a heresy ariseth had i the first announcer of baptism baptized many it was likely that some forming a party would not only call themselves by my name but also ascribe the baptism to me For if from the inferiors so great an evil arose, from those of higher order it would perhaps have gone on to something far more grievous. Verse 16. By this reason, then, having abashed those who were unsound and subjoining, I baptized also the house of Stephanos. He again tacitly exposes their pride, saying as to the rest, I know not whether I baptized any other. For by this he signifies that neither did he seek much to enjoy the honor accruing thereby from the multitude, nor did he set about this work for glory's sake. Verse 17 And not by these only, but also by the next words, he greatly represses their pride, saying, Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, for the more laborious part, and that which needed much toil and a soul of iron and that on which all depended was this and therefore it was that paul had it put into his hand and why not being sent to baptize did he baptize not in contention with him that sent him but in this instance laboring beyond his task for he saith not i was forbidden but i was not sent for this but for that which was of most immediate urgency For preaching the gospel is a work perhaps for one or two, but baptizing for everyone endowed with the priesthood. For a man being instructed and convinced to take and baptize him is what anyone, whatever, might do. For the rest, it is all effected by the will of the person drawing near, and the grace of God. But when unbelievers are to be instructed, there must be great labor, great wisdom. And, At that time, there was danger also annexed. In the former case, the whole thing is done, and he convinced who is on the point of initiation, and it is no great thing when a man is convinced to baptize him. But in the latter case, the labor is great to change the deliberate will, to alter the turn of mind, and to heave up error by the roots and to plant truth in its place. Not that he speaks out all this Neither doth he argue in so many words that baptism has no labor, but that preaching has, for he knows how always to subdue his tone, whereas in the comparison with heathen wisdom he is very earnest, the subject enabling him to use more vehemency of language. Not therefore in opposition to him that sent him did he baptize, but as in the case of the widows, though the apostles had said, it pleases not that we should leave the word of God and serve tables, he discharged the office of a deacon, not in opposition to them, but as something beyond his task. So also here, for even now we commit this matter to the simpler sort of presbyters, but the word of doctrine unto the wiser, for there is the labor and the sweat. Wherefore he saith himself, Let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially they who labor in word and doctrine. For as to teach the wrestlers in the games is the part of the spirited and skillful trainer, but to place the crown on the conqueror's head may be that of one who cannot even wrestle, although it be the crown which adds splendor to the conqueror, so also in baptism. It is impossible to be saved without it, yet it is no great thing which the baptizer doeth finding the will ready prepared not with wisdom of words lest the cross of christ should be made of none effect having brought down the swelling pride of those who were arrogant because of their baptizing he changes his ground afterwards to meet those who boasted about heathen wisdom and against them he puts on his armor with more vehemency for to those who were puffed up with baptizing he said I give thanks that I baptized no one, and for Christ sent me not to baptize. He speaks neither vehemently nor argumentatively, but having just hinted his meaning in a few words, passes on quickly, and here at the very outset he gives a severe blow, saying, lest the cross of Christ be made of none effect. Why then pride thyself on a thing which ought to make thee hide thy face, since if this wisdom is at war with the cross and fights with the gospel it is not meet to boast about it but to retire with shame for this was the cause why the apostles were not wise not through any weakness of the gift but lest the gospel preached suffer harm the sort of people therefore above mentioned were not those employed in advocating the word rather they were among its defamers the learned men were the establishers of it. This broke in pieces vainglory, this repressed bloated arrogance, this enforced moderation. But if it was not by wisdom of subject, why did they send Apollos, who was eloquent? It was not, he replies, through confidence in his power of speech, but because he was mighty in the scriptures and confuted the Jews, and besides, the point inquired of was the principles and first dissimulators of the word not having been eloquent since these were the very persons to require some great power for the expulsion of error in the first instance and then namely at the very outset was the abundant strength needed now he who could do without uneducated persons at first if afterwards some being eloquent were admitted by him he did not so because he wanted them But because he would make no distinctions for as he needed not wise men to effect whatever he would so neither if any were afterwards found such did he reject them on that account but prove to me that peter and paul were eloquent thou canst not for they were unlearned and ignorant men as therefore christ when he was sending out his disciples into the world having shown unto them his power in Palestine first, and said, When I sent you away without purse and script and shoe, lacked ye anything, permitted them from that time forward to possess both a script and a purse. So also he hath done here, for the point was the manifestation of Christ's power, not the rejection of persons from the faith on account of their Gentile wisdom. If they were drawing nigh, when the Greeks then charged the disciples with being uneducated, let us be even more forward in the charge than they. Nor let any one say, Paul was wise, but while we exalt those among them who were great in wisdom and admired for their excellency of speech, let us allow that all on our side were uneducated, for it will be no slight overthrow, which they will sustain from us in that respect also, and so the spoils of victory will be brilliant indeed. I have said these things because I once heard a Christian disputing in a ridiculous manner with a Greek, and both parties in their mutual fray ruining themselves. For what things the Christian ought to have said, these the Greek asserted, and what things it was natural to expect the Greek would say, these the Christian pleaded for himself. As thus, the dispute being about Paul and Plato, The Greek endeavored to show that Paul was unlearned and ignorant, but the Christian from simplicity was anxious to prove that Paul was more eloquent than Plato. And so the victory was on the side of the Greek, this argument being allowed to prevail. For if Paul was a more considerable person than Plato, many probably would object that it was not by grace but by excellency of speech that he prevailed, so that the Christian's assertion made for the Greek and what the Greek said made for the Christian. For if Paul was uneducated and yet overcame Plato, the victory, as I was saying, was brilliant. The disciples of the latter, in a body, having been attracted by the former, unlearned as he was, and convinced, he brought over to his side. From whence it is plain that the gospel was a result not of human wisdom, but of the grace of God. Wherefore, lest we fall into the same error, and be laughed to scorn, arguing thus with Greeks, For we were supposing ourselves in controversy with them, let us charge the apostles with want of learning, for this same charge is praise. And when they say that the apostles were rude, let us follow up the remark and say that they were also untaught and unlettered and poor and vile, and wanting in acuteness and insignificant persons. It is not a slander on the apostles to say so, but it is even a glory that, being such, they should have outshone the whole world. For these untrained and rude and illiterate men, as completely vanquished the wise and powerful and the tyrants, and those who flourished in wealth and glory, and all outward good things, as though they had not been men at all, from whence it is manifest that great is the power of the cross, and that these things were done by no human strength. For the results do not keep the course of nature, rather the good done was above all nature now when anything takes place above nature and exceedingly above it on the side of rectitude and utility it is quite plain that these things are done by some divine power and cooperation. and observe the fishermen the tent-maker the publican the ignorant the unlettered coming from the far distant country of palestine and having beaten off their own ground the philosophers the mastery of oratory the skillful debaters alone prevailed against them in a short space of time. In the midst of many perils, the opposition of people and kings, the striving of nature herself, length of time, the vehement resistance of inveterate custom, demons in arms, the devil in battle array, and stirring up all, kings, rulers, people, nations, cities, barbarians, Greeks, philosophers, orators, sophists, historians, laws, tribunals, Diverse kinds of punishments, deaths innumerable, and of all sorts, but nevertheless all these were confuted, and gave way when the fishermen spake. Just like the light dust which cannot bear the rush of violent winds, now what I say is, let us learn thus to dispute with the Greeks, that we be not like beasts and cattle, but prepared as concerning the hope which is in us. And let us pause for a while to work out this topic, no unimportant one, and let us say to them, how did the weak overcome the strong, the twelve the world, not by using the same armor, but in nakedness contending with men in arms? For, say, if twelve men, unskilled in matters of war, were to leap into an immense and armed host of soldiers, themselves not only unarmed, but of weak frame also, and to receive no harm from them, nor yet be wounded, though assailed with ten thousand weapons, if while the darts were piercing them through with bare naked body they overthrew all their foes using no weapons but striking with the hand and in conclusion killed some and others took captive and led away themselves receiving not so much as a wound would any one have ever said that the thing was of man and yet the trophy of the apostles it's much more wonderful than that for a naked man's escaping a wound is not so wonderful by far as that the ordinary unlettered person that a fisherman should overcome with a body of talent and neither for fewness nor for poverty nor for dangers nor for prepossession of habit nor for so great austerity of the precepts given in charge nor for the daily deaths nor for the multitude of those who are deceived nor for the great reputation of the deceivers be turned from his purpose let this i say be our way of overpowering them and of conducting our warfare against them and let us before all words astound them by our way of life for this is the main battle this is the unanswerable argument the argument from actions for though we give ten thousand precepts of philosophy in words if we do not exhibit a life better than theirs the gain is nothing for it is not what is said that draws their attention but their inquiry is what we do and they say do thou first obey thine own words and then admonish others but if while thou sayest infinite are the blessings in the world to come thou seem thyself nailed down to this world just as if no such things existed thy works to me are more credible than thy words for when i see thee seizing other men's goods weeping immoderately over the departed, doing ill and many other things, how shall I believe thee that there is a resurrection? And what if men utter not this in words? They think it and turn it often in their minds. And this is what stays the unbelievers from believing Christians. Let us win them therefore by our life. Many even among the untaught have in that way astounded the minds of philosophers, as having exhibited in themselves also that philosophy which lies in deeds and uttered a voice clearer than a trumpet by their mode of life and self-denial for this is stronger than the tongue but when i say one ought not to bear malice and then do all manner of evil to the greek how shall i be able by words to win him while by my deeds i am frightening him away let us catch them then by our mode of life and by these souls let us build up the church and of these let us amass our wealth there is nothing to weigh against a soul and not even the whole world so that although thou give countless treasure unto the poor thou wilt do no such work as he who converteth one soul for he that taketh forth the precious from the vile shall be as my mouth so he speaks a great good it is i grant to have mercy on the poor but it is nothing equal to the withdrawing them from error. For he that doth this resembles Paul and Peter, we being permitted to take up their gospel, not with perils such as theirs, with endurance of famines and pestilences, and all other evils. For the present is a season of peace. But so as to display that diligence which cometh of zeal. For even while we sit at home, we may practice this kind of fishery, Whoso hath a friend or relation or intimate of his house, these things let him say, these do, and he shall be like Peter and Paul. Why do I say Peter and Paul? He shall be the mouth of Christ, for he saith, He that taketh forth the precious from the vial shall be as my mouth, and though thou persuade not to-day, to-morrow thou shall persuade. And though thou never persuade, thou shall have thine own reward in full. And though thou persuade not all, a few out of many thou mayest. Since neither did the apostles persuade all men that are, but still they discoursed with all. And for all they have their reward, for not according to the result of the things that are well done, but according to the intention of the doers is god wont to assign the crowns though thou pay down but two farthings he receiveth them and what he did in the case of the widow the same will he do also in the case of those who teach do not thou then because thou canst not save the world despise the few nor through longing after the greater things withdraw thyself from the lesser if thou canst not an hundred take thou charge of ten If thou canst not ten, despise not even five. If thou canst not five, do not overlook one. If thou canst not one, neither so despair, nor keep back what may be done by thee. Seest thou not how in matters of trade they who are so employed make their profit not only with gold, but with silver also? For if we are not come to slighting the little things, how shall we keep hold also of the great? but if we despise the small, neither shall we easily lay hold upon the other. Thus individuals become rich, gathering both small and great. And so let us act, that in all things enriched we may obtain the kingdom of heaven through the grace and loving kindness of our Lord Jesus Christ, with whom unto the Father, together with the Holy Spirit, be glory, power, honor, now and henceforth forevermore. Amen. End of homily three.